Thanks for tuning into the Woods Edge Student Ministry Podcast. We hope you enjoy the message. For more information, you can go to woodsedge.org or look us up on Facebook under Woods Edge Students. All right. So this is our final sermon of the summer, and uh, we've been in a series called Looking for the Good All Summer, and today we're looking for the good in being under pressure. You guys should know what pressure is. Um, some of you, is a little bit of pressure just to come here today. So we know what pressure is, but let's look at a couple definitions to get the ball rolling. So actually, just the picture alone, like I typed in pressure in picture, and this was one of the first images that came up, which is nice because it's cool looking, but this steel vice on this brittle little egg. Like that egg has no chance of surviving that pressure, and we will all in this year, if not this week, experience a moment of pressure that we might feel a little bit like that. And today we're talking about what we need to walk through those moments well, so that even if we do crack, we don't break. So here's some working definitions for pressure. Definition one, the exertion of force upon a surface. If a good example, a visual of that is I'm standing on a surface right now, and this is putting some pressure on this surface, right? And if I were to just keep doing this over and over, probably taking it like a year, eventually it would break. It's the exertion of force upon a surface. Um, somebody between services said it brings to mind an illustration she heard once before. Pressure is like taking a tube of toothpaste and squeezing it, ex exerting force on a surface. But when that happens, sometimes like stuff comes out. And unlike toothpaste, when you have pressure exerted upon yourself, it's not clean and pretty and striped rainbows coming out. It's like your ugly stuff. When you are under pressure and you crack or break, it's not usually good stuff coming out of you, but bad. It's like a litany of horrible curse words that probably don't even exist. You know what I'm saying? All right. Definition number two, the state of pressing or being pressed. That's pretty similar to the first definition, but I like that one because it implies, it makes known the fact that you can be the subject of pressure. You could apply pressure to me, right? I can be pressed, but just as easily, we can be pressure on other people. We can press on other people, exert force, exert influence, right? A constraining or compelling force or influence. Again, a similar definition, but what I like about that one is constraining. When there's pressure all around you, maybe as a result of the people you hang out with or the situation you've allowed yourself to be in, um, it's like you're constrained. It's like you're just feeling like this, and you're like, oh, God, I just want it to stop. Like, it can constrain you, or it can compel you to act out, to freak out, to do something you might regret. Those are our working definitions for pressure, but I want to hear from you guys. What comes into your mind when you think of pressure? It's an example of you being pressured or pressuring somebody, or maybe a visual. What do you got? The floor is yours. What do you think of when you think of pressure? Or what's a situation you faced recently this summer when you were pressured? Peer pressure, absolutely. You have an example? There's only a, a, a billion. Put you on the spot. I got it. I got it. This was shared last service, but it made me think of a story. Um, my buddy Mark McCam, who I just saw recently for the first time in like two decades. He's so short. He had this balcony in his living room, and it just looked out over an open space, and there was a couch there, so we put a mattress on top of it. And in high school, 
um, one day, we were like, let's just jump off the balcony onto the mattress. And it was fine. It was fun. And I was awesome at it. But Mike Curtin was not awesome at it. And he jumped too far because, you know, that's Mike. And he broke his arm. And the only reason he jumped too far was because we were like, Mike, jump farther. And he was like, okay. And boom, snap, bone. Like, it was horrible. And, you know, we kept doing it after we left. But still. That was an example of peer pressure. Mike, do this thing that you know is dumb and that could get you hurt. Oh, good. And he broke his arm. Another example, another story. I saw a hand. What do you got, buddy? Miss? Right now? That is a great answer. I love it. Right right now. I don't know what to say. I'm feeling pressured by the pastor. I'm sorry I made you feel that way. I confess my sin and let's be friends. Who else? One more example. Joshua? Yeah, you got to know where to go, where to be. I mean, you guys are all going into a brand new school year. Some of you going into a brand new school. Some of you guys, I bet there's people in this room that just moved here and it's just like, Texas, what? It's hot here. It's gross. So you're going to have to go to school in two Mondays from now and be expected to know where chemistry is and be expected to know there is no pool on the roof, right? There are no basements here. You're going to be expected to know things and you're like, I don't know. And that's pressure. And the pressure will be like really easily solved by asking questions, but you don't want to be that person, although you should be, because asking questions is a good thing. All right, those are some examples. Those are some definitions of pressure. I wrote this, uh, I'll just say this now. I had a sermon in mind for today that was going to be all kind of scriptures and stuff like that. There's like this much scripture in our sermon today. Today's sermon is basically looking at two different Christians and how they've handled pressure. And you guys, if you live this word, if you obey this and walk through life according to God, um, that's called a testimony. Like, you don't even have to speak, but the way you live your life is like scripture pouring out of you. But if you know this word and refuse it, if you know what to do when certain situations, because you've read the book and you refuse to do it, you're also giving a testimony. You're giving a witness. Hey, man, that guy goes to church all the time, but like, always smoking pot that's not a very good testimony man she prays for everybody at the front of the room after every service but man she gossips about everybody after service that's not a good witness whereas you know giving the shirt off of your back to help somebody in need um helping somebody when it hurts you that's a great witness right uh seeing somebody at the gas station in a tough situation and walking over even as a teenager especially as a teenager and be like can i pray for you That's a bold witness for Jesus Christ. So we're going to look at some examples of how a couple different people have handled pressure recently. And I think of pressure, and I think of the Olympics, right? It's a great, relevant example of pressure. So I think of these Olympians, right? The last four years, they have eaten, slept, every waking moment, prepared themselves for what in many events is like two seconds, right? Like I think of the discus guy. He's on TV for like 10 seconds and it's like, and it's like he's done. Nobody ever knew he existed. He's been training four years to throw that metal Frisbee and I saw some of them yesterday, like they get one shot and they threw it and it hit the net and he was like, like four years of his life, the pressure of having prepared for four years And then you get one shot, one try. Oh, that kills me. Thank you, Jesus, that I get a lot of different tries. Um, 
So I think of the pressure of these Olympians and four years of training. And then I, I think of Michael Phelps, right? I love Michael Phelps. What an incredible athlete Olympian. I preached on him four years ago because there's so many things you can learn by looking at this guy and his drive, his commitment, his devotion to swimming. And there's some stuff that I've learned and looking at him this past week. But, like, I look at Michael Phelps, and we'll just use a brief example of his commitment, his devotion to swimming, right? Check this out. This is a basic schedule for Michael for leading up to these Olympics. Six hours a day in the pool, six days a week, he swims about 50 miles a week. What? None of you have ever done that. That's crazy. 50 miles a week. He runs every week, two hours a day, six days a week. He lifts three hours a day, three days a week. Do the math. That dude lives in the gym, and it's six days a week. London Olympics, it was seven. London Olympics, for four years, he took Christmas off and only a half day. Talk about commitment and devotion. Here's another example of his commitment and devotion. That's one meal for that dude. That's lunch. You couldn't pay me to make my way through that. That's crazy. But he sits down after lifting and running and swimming, and he's like, whoosh, eats it up. That's crazy. But that's a great example of devotion, of commitment. But, like, to swimming, right? He's just he's swimming. That's incredible. I'm inspired watching him, you know, especially the butterfly, because I can't do that. But it's swimming. So you think about the pressure these athletes have put themselves under, but then you think about the pressure of the fact that everybody's watching. Not only are they worried about the stadium full of people, right? There's, on average, 30 million Americans watching these guys compete. 30 million people. Have you had 300 people watch you? 3,000. Think about 30 million eyes just, like, waiting for you to mess up or to touch that wall. But that's America. There's four and a half billion people watching the Olympics on a daily basis. Four and a half billion people. That's over half the planet watching you as you're like, you know, probably looks cooler than that. But just think about this. Four years of training down to one minute and over half the world watching to see what happens. Talk about pressure. And I think of Michael Phelps, right? Five times now in the Olympics. As of last night, 23 gold medals. Not just medals, gold medals. He's the best of the best of the best. He is the most decorated Olympian in history. This past week, he broke a record that has been in place for almost 2,000 years. I don't know, it's on TV. 2,000 years. He's got the most Olympic titles in 2,000 years. Do you think you're going to live to see that broken? I doubt it. Nobody even comes close. 23 gold medals. And you'd think, 23 gold medals. This guy didn't have anything to prove. Fifth time at the Olympics. This guy doesn't have anything to prove. This guy should be immune from pressure. Is he? No. No, he's not. Because there's this little scrappy punk named Chad LaCloe, right? And Chad is this South African, and you know he's a super awesome athlete too, but he's nobody when you think of Michael Phelps. But he competed last year or at the last Olympics, and they had a little bit of a verbal skirmish for like two seconds. And for four years, Michael's been training, but Chad, he's been training too, but he's been talking. I'm going to smoke Michael in Rio. I'm going to whoop him. He's got nothing. He's been trash-talking Michael for years. And this past week, LaClo and Michael are in what's known as the ready room. And they're hanging out, waiting 
not for their race, but for the race before the race. It's just the practice. It's the preliminary. And they don't even have to give it 100% because they're at the best top level. They're in this room, and Laclo is just making a fool of himself. He's so clearly taunting Michael. Michael, the 23 gold medal holding, fifth time most decorated Olympian in all time. And you'd think Michael would be like, you know there's a camera on and you look stupid right now, right? <laughs> but no, no. Michael let the pressure get to him. And it, I'll be, it can get to all of us. So let's check out what happened in the ready room of the Olympics this week. Look at, look at LeClo in the ready room, Rowdy. It's like he's going through a boxing routine, and Phelps is like, are you kidding me? Oh, my goodness. I have never seen anything like that in the ready rooms. You play some games sometimes at least, standing right in front of Michael. And look at Michael's game face. Oh, Phelps, as always, lets his swimming to the talking. <laughs> look, at, look at It's like he's growling like a dog. Oh, my God. This is... Great television. <laughs> it's great television. And he's pardoned the pun. <laughs> right. is, let's just sit here for a while. So <laughs> watch this. Michael Phelps shows up to the Rio Olympics with nothing to prove, and yet he still just does incredible, right? He's phenomenal. He did. He beat the guy. The guy didn't even place, right? You don't have to worry about him. He got fourth. But Michael let him get in his head. Michael cracked a little bit under the pressure, and I don't blame him. I probably cracked too. Four and a half billion people, and you got this guy like shaking his butt and his face, and he's acting like they're gonna fight. But you saw him. I mean, those announcers weren't exaggerating. It's exactly, he looked like a growling dog. He's like, he's, he's losing it. He's freaking out under that pressure. It's not the picture of peace, right? Show me my picture of Michael. Look at his face. Not the picture of peace, not the picture of calm. That is the picture of a man cracking under pressure. Unbeknownst to him, the whole world is like, <laughs> look at him, he's freaking out. You guys, as a result, what should have been this amazing experience for Michael as he does his final Olympics and golds in every one but one race, gets more medals than anybody probably ever will ever, this is now the story. Because Michael cracked under pressure at a key moment when a lot of people were around, which isn't that what happens? It's always when there's an audience. This is now the story. People will not be able to think about these Olympic Games in four years, eight years, 12 or 16 without thinking of this. Man, remember in 2016, Michael Phelps, 23 gold medals. And then remember what an what a fool he made of himself when he was growling at that dude like a dog. So here it is, the face that launched a thousand memes. Do we have another meme that popped up overnight? There it is, Michael Phelps being compared to Grumpy Cat. You know that's something you want in your resume. Do we have another one? Michael Phelps exploding his face with laser beams out of his eyeballs. Do we have another one? Yes, when someone mentions going back to school at the beginning of August. You've made this face. I heard you groan this face just a few minutes ago. What else? I love this. This was, this was on the news. This NBC ran this story. Swimmer possessed by Satan. The spelling, by the way, awesome. Michael the axe murderer Phelps debuts at Rio. Like, that's just the story. He looks like Satan. Last one. And then Michael 
and Michaela Maroney. I don't know if you guys are old enough to remember, but at the London Olympics, this little girl, she, she medaled, she did well, she'd worked for four years, given all that she had, and she ended up on the podium, but she wasn't happy that she didn't get gold, and so she's on the podium, and that's her face. And people have referenced that face for four years. When we did our student Wednesday night Olympics this year, I used that picture of her to promote the Olympics because that's what people remember about this little girl. Not that she medaled, not that she placed, but that she made this silly face because she was upset she didn't get gold. She got silver, but she didn't get gold. And the same thing is now true for Michael. They're not going to remember what an amazing performance he did alone. They're going to remember that he was like, (laughs) that he lost it, that he cracked under pressure. All right. You know, we all knew Phelps was going to go on to win. I mean, he smoked that guy. Dude didn't even place. Um, But unfortunately, because he cracked under pressure, he didn't handle it well, that's what people are going to remember. So my question, kind of my statement Um, My reluctant promise to you, it's a brand new year. I don't care if you're homeschooled, private school, public school, dropping out of school. I don't care. You're going to find yourself in a situation, plural, situation of pressure this year. You know it. I know it. Are you thinking about it? Are you preparing yourself for it? Are you considering, I know this is an area of weakness for me and I need to get my stuff together. I need to... Like, make sure and get some boundaries so that when pressure hits, when temptation strikes, when my peers are forcing their influence on me, that I can stand strong and not freak out. How are you going to respond when your high-pressure moment comes this year? It could be a test on paper. It could be a test of your character. But you will find yourself in a hot moment, and there will be people around you, and you can crack and be known for that like for the rest of your high school career, and that's okay. I was known for something stupid in high school for a long time. It was awesome. Or will you rise above it? Will you have prepared well? Then it's never too late to start preparing. Um, There's many ways to respond to pressure, right? We're only looking at two examples. There's a 100. There's a 1,000. There's many ways to respond to pressure. I'm going to contrast Phelps' reaction with two other guys' reaction. Two guys that also were under extreme pressure at the Olympic Games this past week. David Budiah and Steele Johnson. They're the synchronized men's diving team for the USA. That's David Budiah on the left, Steele Johnson on the right. That's an awesome name, by the way. And there they are this week at the Olympics. Budiah on the left is the older of the two. It's his second Olympics. And he is... Steele's trainer, his mentor, his friend, his brother. And that's Steele. This is his first Olympics ever, right? So David and Steele, men synchronized diving. The video I'm going to show you, they have just found out after four years of training, after four years of missing out on family time and fun, being at the pool, practicing their dives a billion times, they have just found out they lost. They did not get gold. And you don't train for bronze or silver. You want gold. All those Olympians, they're there for gold. They did not get gold. They lost. They got silver. They got second. And you know, that's still respectable, but they showed up for gold. Not only did they not get gold, though, 
The Chinese destroyed them. Those guys were like robots. They were beautiful. I couldn't imagine. They did everything flawlessly. It's like the water was obeying them when they hit it. It was like, did they Photoshop the splash out? That was incredible. They annihilated every other diving team. It wasn't like Chinese, Americans, and whoever. It was like the Chinese owned. And David and Steele lost. And this wasn't the preliminary dive. This was it, and now they're done, and they got second. Now, let's look at how they responded in their high-pressure situation as the reporter scurries over and says, you just lost. How do you feel? David, you came to Rio with a gold and bronze from London and a whole lot of pressure. What does it mean to come out and medal here in the Synchro event? Yeah, I, I just think the past week, there's just been an enormous amount of pressure, and I've felt it, and, um, you know, it's just an identity crisis. When my mind is on this and thinking I'm defined by this, then my mind goes crazy. But we do have to know that our identity is in Christ. And we're just we're thankful for this opportunity to be able to dive in front of Brazil and for the United States. And uh, it's been an absolutely thrilling moment for us. You now have gold, silver, and bronze Olympic medals. How much does this free you up for the individual event? It does. It takes a lot of pressure off of me. But um, this, this never could have happened without Steele, without him pushing me, without him loving me well. Encouraging me and my wife has just been a solid rock, and uh, I, I couldn't have done it without them. Well, and Steele, for you, your first ever Olympics, first ever Olympic event, how were you able to maintain your composure so well? I think the way David just described it was flawless. The, the fact that I was going into this event knowing that my identity is rooted in Christ and not what the result of this competition is just gave me peace, it gave me ease, and it let me enjoy the contest. If something went great, I was happy. If something didn't go great, I could still find joy because I'm at the Olympics competing with the best person, the best mentor, the, just one of the best people to be around. Um, so God's given us a cool opportunity, and I'm glad I could have come away with an Olympic silver medal. That's how I want to respond in my high-pressure moment, right? I mean, the reporter runs over, and she's like, so you lost. How do you feel? I don't want to be like, man... I trained so hard. I, I could have gotten gold. I, I just kick in myself. I'm so disappointed. Oh, I wish I could have done this, this, and that. No. I want to know that even when I lose, I won, right? I don't have anything to prove. My identity is in Jesus Christ, and I want that for every single one of you. I want you to know, as we talk, your weakness can be made into strength if you put yourself in Jesus. If you lean on him, rely on him, you can lose and still win. Those guys lost, but that testimony... Our identity's not in this, it's in him. That's what they wanted. I guarantee, let's just try and meddle. I don't care if we get bronze, because I want to get up in front of as many people as possible every day I can and say, Jesus, 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 and not this. I hate my life. You guys, I love that response under pressure. You will face pressure this year. Do you have it in you? Do I have it in me? to respond like those guys. Those guys responded with joy, even though they lost. Peace, even though they lost. They responded by remembering what really matters. Diving, swimming, algebra. This stuff doesn't matter when you're comparing it with Jesus Christ. They focus on the good. And so they can lose and be on national TV and be like, dear losers, how do you feel? I feel awesome because I got Jesus and this is fine. Our enemy, and you know we have one, wants us to focus on the bad. I look at that first video of Phelps 
and those announcers just like gleefully like, <laughs> look at him freaking out on national TV. This is great television, they said. And you know it is because we are addicted to the, the car accident, the, the mess, right? Looking at the hurt and the pain and being like, oh, that's so horrible, but I can't look away. It was great TV, and it still is. I, you type in, when you get home, Michael Phelps' face, and look what comes up on Google. There are thousands of memes out there of that poor dude in that just brief moment of weakness. It's okay, but I mean, the cameras were rolling, and that's going to be there. You're going to type in Michael Phelps wanting to read about, you might tell your kids, you, I saw it live, and they'll go, oh, I want to go, and they'll type up Google, but it'll probably be like in their eyeballs by then. And they will see all these other things because the enemy wants us to focus on what's bad. And he loves to put on display our failure, which is probably why we're so scared to fail. But then you got, you got a great story, right, and it's everywhere, but then you got this great testimony it's nowhere. I apologize to you for the quality of that video, but that's all I can find. That was filmed by multiple networks on television, and it's gone. They've buried it. They won't show it because the enemy, the devil, Satan runs this world. This is his home until Jesus comes again. And so he has a lot of control. Look what happens when you try and find the original copy of that video. This video is no longer available due to a copyright claim by International Olympics. Why? They're Olympians giving a speech after winning. Any Olympian that has won silver, gold, or bronze has been interviewed. And if you go and try and find their interview, you're going to be watching it. But these guys just proclaim Jesus Christ is the Lord and Savior on national television to four and a half billion people, and it's gone. That's the world we live in. So I love that those guys took advantage of their opportunity to declare their faith in Jesus on live TV. Good for them. Way to handle pressure well. There's another story in the Olympics that's not getting a lot of press. A version of it is getting press, but not the meat of it. It's Michael Phelps' story. Who in here knows that a year ago, in October, Michael Phelps was about to take his life, was about to kill himself, was about to commit suicide? I mean, you look at him and you're like, this guy... He's one of the, he's, he's the, he's not one of, he's the most successful athlete in the history of the world. And he wants to kill himself. He wants to end his life. It doesn't make sense. He is the poster boy for the American dream, for success. And he's so unhappy and he's so unsatisfied that he wants to take his own life. Listen to this brief quote, this brief story from Phelps. They'll acknowledge the part that he went to rehab. They'll acknowledge the part that he had a tough time. But then they'll say things like, he pulled through. He did all right. They leave out the most important part of Michael Phelps' story, which I love. American swimmer Michael Phelps, the most decorated Olympian of all time, revealed that he suffered a crisis of identity two years ago. I think that's a misprint. It was last year. Perhaps, nope, it says Phelps. Phelps said that he was struggling to figure out who he was outside of the pool, which led him to heavy drinking and wondering whether his life was even worth living. I thought the world would just be better off without me, Phelps admitted. I figured that the best thing to do was just end my life. You ever felt like that? I felt like that. But, it says, footnote, however... 
But Phelps found hope in October 2015 when he entered a psychological trauma and addiction treatment center. He went to rehab. A lot of people do. It's all right. It's good. It was there that Phelps picked up Pastor Rick Warren's best-selling book, The Purpose Driven Life, which would ultimately lead to Michael's decision to give his life to Jesus Christ. Michael Phelps is a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, was in that moment of weakness, and has been since October of last year. Michael Phelps has been a Christian for the last 10 months. Praise the Lord. Michael Phelps wanted to kill himself because he thought the only thing he had to offer this world was the fact that he could swim. And when he realized, I don't care if I'm the best swimmer in the universe, I'm unhappy. This doesn't fulfill me. I want to kill myself. When Jesus came along and said, oh, no, 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 no. I have so much more for you, buddy. You're so much more than a swimmer. You're my son. You're my friend. I'm here to save you. Michael read a book by a pastor that is so saturated with scripture, you think you're reading right out of the New Testament, and he realized there's a God in heaven that loves me, that says, you are more than your swimming career, your grades, your reputation, and he found value in life, and he started training for the Rio Olympics like 10 months ago, and look what he did, look what he did, um, as a fellow Christian, right? I just want to clarify, even if Phelps wasn't a Christian, but he is. He's my brother. I will not and I cannot be too hard on him. Because think about it. He may have had a tough moment on live TV that will follow him for quite some time. He's new at this. He's a baby Christian. He still has a lot of growing up and learning about faith to do. Imagine Michael Phelps a year from now, almost two years into his faith, having devoted himself to reading this book every day, having devoted himself to going to church, to being part of a small group. Imagine where he might be. I bet a year from now, if there was another world event that Michael swam at and Laclo showed up and was just like, you know, whatever he was doing, Phelps would be like, can I just give you a hug? Because I just think that's kind of sad. Like, I think he would handle it completely different, but he's still a new Christian, as many of you in this room are. And it's okay as Christians that we have hiccups and moments of weakness in our faith. Don't let them define you. The world is going to try and define Michael by that silliness in the, the ready room. But his faith is in Jesus, even though he had a moment of weakness. And he knows, I'm way bigger than that goofy moment. According to the world, again, Michael Phelps, poster boy of success. But he was unhappy, he was unsatisfied, and he was suicidal. What are you giving the best of yourself to? If it ain't Jesus... You could end up in the same boat. I'm not trying to curse you or anything. It's a fact. If you're given all, I'm going to be the best, you know, what do you want to do? Pilot, architect, whatever. That's great. That's super. Awesome. Buy me a car when you're rich. But you're not going to find joy. You're not going to find peace. You're not going to find contentment in your career. Ask Michael Phelps. As perfect as he appeared, and like literally appears pretty perfect. I'm just like, his life is a wrecking shop before Jesus. And even after Jesus, he's still new at this. He's wrestling. He's struggling. He's battling. And what I love, he's learning from his mistakes. What mistakes have you made this summer? What mistakes have you made in your faith? What mistakes did you make last year at school by maybe getting in with the wrong crowd or cheating on a test? Whatever. Are you learning from your mistakes? That's what God wants to know. It's okay that you make mistakes, but are you learning from them? And it's clear to me, Phelps has already learned from this one. 
so why is there a difference, right? Phelps is a Christian. Budiah and Johnson are Christians. Why with a different response? Well, I think it's pretty clear. I don't know if this is all of it, but I think it's some. Michael Phelps has been an Olympian, not just a swimmer, an Olympian for 16 years. But he's been a Christian for less than one. Steele Johnson, the blonde guy, on the contrast, he's been an Olympian for less than a week. But he's been a Christian almost his entire life. You read his testimony, it's, on, it's crazy, it's awesome. Um, Budiah and Steele, the divers, they've been walking with God for a long time. And as a result, they know that by obeying what this book calls us to, that faith, obedience to Jesus, works. They could have gotten up there on stage in front of a national audience and kicked themselves and, or done like, oh, my girl, Hope Solo, just, they're a bunch of cowards. I don't care if they beat us. Oh, what a horrible representation. Oh, you guys, they could have done something like that, but they said, you know, it's okay that we lost. Our identity is in Jesus. This is like, we're just here for like free food and to play. This is fun for us. That's what I want you to feel like when your moment of stress comes. This is fun. This is an opportunity because I'm not sold out. My identity is not in this. It's in him. Um, what can we learn about handling pressure from what those divers said about their faith? I don't have much scripture today, right? I'm going to read Acts to you in a second, but no scripture so far. But what these guys said may as well be scripture. I love what they said. It's so clear to me they, they're believers from what they said. Here's the first thing that Budiah said in that interview. This past week, there's been an enormous amount of pressure, and I've felt it. What I learned from that, Christians are not immune from pressure. In fact, we're probably more susceptible to it because we're living in a world that hates us. But Christians are not immune from pressure. We will all in this room face pressure this year, maybe worse than we ever have before. Where might your pressure come from? You should be thinking about it. And if you think, yeah, over there, prepare for it. Prepare. Those guys knew it was possible that they might lose. They needed to talk and strategize. What are we going to do? What are we going to say? And I guarantee it was a strategy. I mean, it was a, basically a mini sermon he gave when he said, pressure is just an identity crisis. The minute he said that, I was like, dude is about to preach. Pressure is just an identity crisis. When my mind is on this, diving, school, relationship, whatever, when my mind is on this and I'm thinking I'm defined by this, my mind goes crazy. And ain't that the truth? If you get so tied up in what you do, who you are supposed to be, pressure, your mind goes crazy. You can't sleep at night. You're sitting there thinking about what you could have said, what you should have said, what you'll do next time. You freak out. I do too. When the pressure's on, you can let it define you or you can use your faith and define it. Pressure is just an identity crisis. Remember that this year, today, when the pressure's on. Pressure is just an identity crisis. Because when my mind is on this, and I'm thinking I'm defined by this, my mind goes crazy. But we both know that our identity is in Christ. So we don't have anything to worry about. We're fine with silver. We've been fine with bronze. If somebody beat us out for that, we'd celebrate them. How do they know, though? How do these guys know that their identity is in Christ? How can they stand there audience of four and a half billion people and say with joy and peace and confidence, our identity is not in diving, our identity is in Christ. 
I think they can know that the same way that you and I can. And here's the meat of the message. Trust God. Just trust him. How'd you do trusting God last year? How do you want to do this year? Trust God and trust God's word. This works. You apply this to your life, it works. Trust that God's way is better than your way. Um, Last week, this is the only scripture I'll give you this week. Last week, one of the verses we looked at was Acts chapter 2. The picture-perfect Christian version of what church should look like. The church we are striving to be. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 says this. All the believers, the church, you, me, devoted, devoted themselves, committed themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals and to prayer. It is so clear to me, watching Budiah and Steele, that they read and they obey God's word on a daily basis. It's clear to me that those guys worship and go to church. It is clear to me they don't do life in a vacuum. They do it in a community. It is clear to me those guys pray. When the race was over for Phelps, when he destroyed LeClos, he had this picture. He gets in the pool and he's saying this to the crowd. Praise me, right? Another moment of weakness. And that's okay. I mean, he kind of earned it. But like, didn't God give him the strength, give him the body that can pump twice as much blood as a normal human heart back? Shouldn't he be doing this? But Budaya and Steele lost, and the first thing they do was they went up, they got their coach, they huddled up, and they prayed. So, these guys can handle pressure because they're doing life the way God calls them to. They're devoted to learning the word and living it out. They're devoted to doing life in a Christian community. They're devoted to just eating together and hanging out. They're devoted to praying. And if you, when you find yourself in your high-pressure situation this year, if you will have backed it up, if you will have prepared yourself by deciding today, I'm going to read the word. I'm going to do life with these people in this room. And it doesn't have to be just in this room. I'm going to just be authentic and expect some authenticity in return. I'm going to pray this year like I've never prayed before. When your high-pressure moment comes, maybe it won't break you this time. In fact, maybe you can just be like, that's the best you got? Don't you know that my identity is in Jesus Christ? You can tempt me all you want. I'm strong in the Lord. I'm going to invite the band to come up here, and we're going to wrap up. Another thing that struck me as I was thinking about these guys and this testimony this past week is that um, diving and Christianity have something really basic but beautiful in common. Diving and Christianity have something awesome in common. It's that um, both require a leap, right, of faith. You can't go into your high-pressure situation this year thinking, I'll just read the Bible when I feel like it. Um, which maybe never. Uh, I'll be part of a Christian community and, and have accountability when it's convenient. Um, I'll pray, but like after the situation is over and I'll just ask for forgiveness. That's not preparation. That's reaction. And by then, it's too late. Your moment has passed. And you were the person on TV growling at your adversary. You need to predecide now. Um... Show me my picture of the diver on the platform. I love this photo. I did this once when I was a kid. 
a leap of faith. Not a tiptoe of faith, not a step of faith. God wants you to leap in faith. And some of you are sitting here, and I know you, and you've tried small groups before, and you've thought about prayer before, and you've declared openly, I will read the Bible, and you don't. That's you. You have not given your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength. You've not leapt out and said, Jesus, I trust you. I'm giving everything I've got this year. You ran, and that's great, and you started to jump, and that's great, but then you were like, oh my God, this is too scary. Show me my other picture. That's what God's looking for from you this year. They're not even just leaping. They're going backwards. They don't even, they can't see the water. That's faith. I trust that my training, my training, I trust that what I've learned in this book is going to work, is going to catch me. I know when I hit the water, I'm going to be okay. You need to prepare now for the pressure. It's coming. Couple brief practical points. I know it sounds like homework, you guys, and I'm sorry about that. But like school and homework were built on this. So my ask is better and bigger than your teachers. Read this book. You can get more out of reading this book for five minutes alone in your room than you can get from 50 sermons from me. This book was written for you. Read this book. If your excuse is, well, I got school, I'm too busy, you go talk to the Olympians. You tell Budaya that you're too busy to read because that dude has a harder schedule than you and he reads this book every day and it shows. Small groups. We have one of the best percentages of church being in small groups of any student ministry around here, in fact, any ministry on campus. And I say, Amen to that. You guys are awesome. But I want 100% participation in small groups. Because you can come and listen to a sermon and be convicted. But on Wednesday nights from 6 to 8 when we gather together, that's where it gets real. That's where you get personal prayer. That's where you come up with I will statements and hold each other accountable and find encouragement. Sign up for small groups this year. And then, like, come. They're here for you. Like, I don't get paid extra to host groups. They're here for you how God calls you to do life. Some of you guys out there are like, well, I just don't like my small group. Suck it up. If you got a problem in your group, that's an opportunity. You got some pressure from somebody in your group, you don't like, that's an opportunity. Work it out. That's your training ground to learn how to handle conflict and difficult situations. If you have an excuse of, I don't go to groups because I don't like, you're losing. And this ministry is losing. Because we need you. And make Sunday morning a priority. God loves it when we gather together. And even if there's only five of us, even if it's Joshua and me and Bosco and these guys, God loves it. But what would it look like if all year, not just uh, kickoff Sunday, what if all year there were 200 people in this room worshiping Jesus with all their heart? Would God not bless our socks off? Would he not do more than we can imagine? This one I could talk about for hours, but we're pretty much done. But would you give prayer a shot this year? Before you run off to a friend to complain about a situation or post something stupid on Facebook that looks makes you look dumb, would you pray first? You can still go complain after that if you want. 
but pray first. If you find yourself in a high-pressure situation, two seconds, Jesus be with me. That's all you need to do. Invite him into your situation. If you filled out a Connect card, drop it in this guy in just a minute. We'll start getting you guys into the system. Remember, you are not signed up for small groups until you fill one out. When we have our communion, and beginning today and going forward, we also have one in the back of the room right next to Mr. Burroughs. So there's plenty. And we got our tithe boxes. You got a job, you got an allowance, you should be bringing the tithe. Beyond that, I want to pray us into a moment of response. So let's bow our heads. Jesus, I want you to do something that I can't do. I want you to move in a way that I can't manifest right now. But you did this for me once, and I pray you do it for every single person in this room right now. Would you give us a picture in our minds right now of us, of ourselves, of the person listening to me in a seat right now? Would you give us a picture of what we will look like in a year if we will just try your way in 2016-17? Would you give us a picture, a visual, maybe a word to represent who we will be, who we can expect to be in a year from now if we devote ourselves to you, Jesus, this year like never before? If we devote ourselves to your word, not just reading it, but obeying it this year. If we would devote ourselves to community, being authentic with each other, refusing to gossip, but loving each other, making allowance for each other's faults, uh, lifting up those around us that are weak when we're strong, so that when we're weak, we can expect the same. Would you help us devote ourselves to prayer? Would you give every one of us in this room a picture today, this week, of what we will be, of the life we can expect if we would just devote ourselves to doing life the way you call us to, the way you command us to? If you're in this room right now and you are feeling God tugging at your heartstrings, I'm not even going to guide you into how to pray. Would you just pray to God? Would you ask him something? Would you tell him something? Would you just talk to Jesus for about 30 seconds before we respond. Thanks for listening to the Woods Edge Student Ministry Podcast. Please feel free to share copies of this podcast, but do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way. For more information, please visit woodsedge.org or find us on Facebook under Woods Edge Student.